Well, we're going to be back in the Gospel of Mark this morning, and we're actually going to start in one thing in the Gospel of Mark and then spring around to a, three or four different places in Scripture today. And we're going to come to, we're just going to use the story that we're going to start with today um, as a springboard. And maybe a springboard in a way that you wouldn't have really thought about if you were reading it, but it's what I thought about when I was reading it. And we're going to use it as a springboard to talk about something that is a really real aspect of, in all of our lives. And it's one that might, we might not enjoy talking about a lot, but the aspect of suffering in our lives. Um, suffering, I don't have to tell you, suffering is just here. It's real. If you watch your news, the news is basically a list of talking about people suffering. Imagine the suffering that is going on in Campbellsport this morning. With the car accident with six teenage girls in an SUV crashing, three of them, two died at the scene, one died this morning or last night, and other ones are in hospitals between Milwaukee and Fond du Lac. Think of that little tiny town, you go know where Campbellsport is, I've been there a hundred times, you used to play baseball in Campbellsport. Think of those people right now, their entire world is rocked. Think of the family in Mayville right now, whose son graduated from the same university that Pastor Paul and Kristen graduated from, Evangel University, one of our, one of our flagship schools in the Assemblies of God. A, the finest young man, from what I've heard, you'd ever meet, the kind of son that every one of you want to have, went to college, was in the ROTC program, went into the military to serve his country and serve his God, and his first month, putting as a platoon leader, was killed in combat. Think of the suffering there. I watched my friend, um, Pastor Dave, on the news from the Assemblies of God church there being interviewed and talking about what a fine young man he is. The church is suffering. The family is suffering. The community is suffering. Suffering is real. And a lot of times we don't like to deal with it. We like to put it away, especially as Americans where life is really good. We like to try to just pretend that it's all good and we're just dancing all the time and having fun. The reality is suffering is real. And of all the people on the planet who ought to deal with suffering right, it ought to be the church. Because we're going to find out some things about suffering today that apply to us because we're followers of Jesus that the rest of the world just doesn't have. So grab your Bible. We're going to read a story of suffering. The book of Mark, chapter 6. We're going to read the story of John the Baptist, of his, not his preaching ministry, not his seeing Jesus and recognizing him as the Son of God ministry, but the, re the recollection of his suffering ministry. Mark, chapter 6, starting in verse 14. It says, And King Herod heard of it, for his name had become well known, and the people were saying, John the Baptist, heard, heard of it, means he heard of all the miracles Jesus was doing. Last week we looked at the 12 disciples sent out, right, in teams, and God sent them out to, to do ministry. And it says, and John, or the, the, um, Herod, heard of it, of all the miraculous things going on in, through Jesus. For his name had become well known, and the people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, he is Elijah. And others were saying, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You understand the thing here? The prophet's pointing out the fact the guy took his brother's wife, he's married to someone else, took his brother's wife and took her as his own wife. And, it, and the prophet, John, is saying, that's sin. 
And Herod, verse 19, Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and a holy man. Remember that. He was a righteous and a holy man. And he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed. But he used to enjoy listening to him. A strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodians herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to her, Ask me for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. You get this. His, his wife's daughter comes in and, and dances some kind of a dance that turned all the guys on. And the rewarder, he says, Ask whatever you want. Verse 24. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And immediately she came in in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother and when his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in the tomb. You know, when I read this story, one thing jumps out to me. And it's this. Life isn't fair. Life isn't just. It's not fair for a wonderful, godly, righteous man, and that's how he's described, right? A man like John the Baptist, to suffer such injustice to be imprisoned solely for telling the truth and then be executed for no cause, nothing that he did wrong. The story just screams to me of the reality of injustice in the world. It screams to me of the reality of suffering that goes on in our world. Because believe me, his friends and his followers, his family, they suffered because of the injustice. Says his disciples went and got his body and laid it in a tomb. And I guarantee you it doesn't say it, but we know it's true. They did it weeping. That suffering is real. Think about it. Here's John, this holy man. Scripture tells us that he was a miracle child. That he was the child born to the priest Zechariah and the wife Elizabeth, his wife Elizabeth for the very purpose of being a forerunner of Jesus. Remember the story? This old couple, the wife is, is humiliated in her culture because she could never have a child. And one day God comes and she conceives past age of, of childbearing. She conceives and they have a son. And he's a miracle child because he's going he's gonna to pave the way for the ministry of Jesus. And I want you to understand when you think of John the Baptist, we understand this. He did everything right. He did everything that God wanted him to do. It says that from his mother's womb he was something called the Nazarite. A Nazarite was this, was this Jewish man set apart for the ministry to God. He had a very strict set of, of rules and codes and moralities that he had to live by in order to honor God. Things like not cutting your hair and not eating certain foods. He lived by this code of ethic because God had set him apart. And because of God's instructions to him, he lived a hard life. He lived out in the wilderness, it says. Not very nice. 
Matter of fact, when there's comparisons between John and other people, it says John lived in a hard place. He wasn't soft like other people. It said that he lived out in the wilderness, that he ate strange food. He lived on locust and wild honey. He wore camel's hair, it said, in a leather belt. He lived out in a rough life out in the wilderness. And out in that wilderness, he preached the truth. He preached it hard, and he preached it strong, because that's what God had asked him to do. And because he did that, some people didn't like it. It said multitudes came to him for repentance, because they were turning to God, from sin to God. But also we know all kinds of people didn't like him. The religious crowd didn't like him. They said, who are you to do what you're doing? Who are you? You have no right. Don't meddle in my affairs. Don't tell me how to live. That's what they said about John. They didn't like John. But he did what he did because God had called him to do it. Even though it didn't win him friends and it didn't influence people. Now you would want to think that since he was doing what God wanted, then life would be easy. Everything would work out wonderfully. Blessings and honor would flow. Isn't that the way we look at it? If I just do what God says, everything's going to work out good. The blessing of the Lord will be upon me. Well, we know the blessings are real. But you know what? That's not what the story tells us. Matter of fact, the story basically says this way. Because he did everything right, it cost him his head. Because it cost him everything right, they chopped off his head after being living in a prison cell. He suffered unjustly in prison, and he died unjustly at the whim of a spoiled rich girl's mom. Because she was offended. Because he said the truth, and it made her uncomfortable. Well, church, there's something that I want us to come to grips with today, and it's this. Suffering is part of life. It's just part of the human existence. And being a follower of Jesus does not exempt us from suffering. As much as some may say it does, click a few channels. You kids don't even know what I mean when I say click a few channels, do you? Click a few channels. Look at a few TV preachers, and I'm not bashing them. I'm simply saying, you hear a message that says you serve God and everything goes good. Flip a few pages of the book, and you'll find out that that's not what the Bible says. We need to come to grips with the fact that being a follower of Jesus does not exempt us from suffering. And friends, the reason that I think this is so important to understand for us today is because so often Christian people conclude that somehow God has failed them when they encounter suffering. They walk through life and they think it's supposed to all be easy, but then they come to the hard and they say, I hit the hard, so therefore something must be wrong. And that's just not simply true. You know, people reason like this. They reason that because God is all-powerful, that He could change their situations if He wanted to, and when their situation does not change, they concluded that either God does not care or that they have done something to deserve the suffering that they're encountering. That's what people think. I've heard it in my office a hundred times, or maybe more. But I want you to understand today that that reasoning simply is not true. The truth is, suffering is part of the world because of sin. It's not because of God's failure to act. Suffering is part of the world because of sin. Grab your Bibles with me. We're going to start at the very beginning of the book, and then we're going to jump in a minute to the very end of the book, and we're going to see something. Genesis chapter 3. Look at this, maybe a little different than you've thought of before. 
maybe, maybe it's familiar, but, but think of this at Genesis chapter 3. And let's look at what God said was the result of Adam and Eve's choice to sin. Starting in verse 16 of chapter 3. First book of the Bible. This is after Adam and Eve have chosen to reject God's way. God gave them, a, they gave them some real simple rules. Live in the garden, do eat anything you want except that one tree. The fruit from that one tree. They chose to listen to the serpent instead. The serpent went to Eve and she talked to Eve and, and convinced Eve that God hadn't really meant that. And she partook and then she convinced her husband to follow her and he full well knew what he was doing. But they chose to reject God's ways, God's laws. And God comes down and God in, intervenes and, he, and he, he says, Now here's the result of the fact that you have chosen your own way instead of my way. You've chosen to walk in sin instead of relationship with me. Starting in verse 16, first of all, before that he talks about what's going to do to the devil and curse him. But then in verse 16, starting in verse 16, he talks about the results that are going to happen in the, the life of people. He says to the woman, he said, I'll greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. All you ladies say, say this, say, thank you, Eve. Okay? I saw, I've seen my wife deliver two babies. I can't imagine what it's like. No epidurals, no drugs, just one tough woman. And so, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. You will desire, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you're saying, and you didn't listen to my voice is what he's saying. You listen to the voice of your wife over my voice. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken for you are dust, and to the dust you will return. God shows them something. God shows that because of sin, suffering enters the world of humanity. He says, pain will enter. Bondage, servitude will enter. Toil will enter. Lack, it's not going to produce what it should have. Lack will enter. And death will enter the human experience. Suffering will enter the human experience because of sin. Friends, suffering is the reality of our existence in a sin-affected world. Sin affects all of us because we are all affected by sin. Suffering is not God punishing people. It's the result of people trading a life of blessing and perfection with God for a life of difficulty and suffering apart from God because that's what sin does. It separates. And the Scripture says we've all been born in sin. Friends, God's not behind our suffering. Satan is. He's the one who encourages sin in the world. Now, that's all the bad news. Say, I want to hear some good news. That's the bad news. That is the reality. Let's not forget it. That's the foundation we live in. But there's good news. And it's this. Because of God's great love for us, he has a plan in place to bring us out of suffering. Because God loves you, 
Because God loves the families in Campbellsport today, because God loves the families in Mayville today, He has a plan for those who walk with Him to come out of suffering. And it's got an, an eternal aspect and a temporal aspect. Let's look at the eternal first. And it's this, ultimately, God's plan to alleviate human suffering is heaven. Turn to the very last book of your Bible. Listen to what God says about heaven. He describes it in all these ways, but then he talks about what, what will happen there. The book of Revelation, almost to the end, chapter 21. Look at what he says here about heaven. 21, starting in verse 1, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. In other words, God is dwelling with men. And He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. But look at verse 4. It says, And He. Is that a capital H there? Yeah. Who is it? God. God the Father. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. And there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. The first things, this life of sin has passed away and now it's heaven. And he says in this new place now, look, there will, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. He says, God says, I'm going to eliminate, alleviate all suffering. Friends, in a world filled with suffering, heaven is our hope. It's God reestablishing what was there before in Eden when there was no suffering because of the reality of sin. It says in that place, He will wipe away every tear. Friends, understand this. Heaven becomes more important to us when we suffer. When life is easy, everything's great, heaven's not such a big deal. But heaven becomes more real to us, more important to us, when we suffer. We long for the comfort of God. And we see this revealed when people go through great suffering. They want to know about heaven. Have you ever listened to the words of the old Negro spirituals? The songs that were sung by the African-American slaves in America? They're called Negro spirituals. Have you ever listened to them? You probably know some more than you think you do. But those songs were sung by African-American slaves. And the reason I bring it up today is because as a group of people, they suffered maybe as great and as horribly as any group of people ever have in the history of humanity. They were captured in their homeland. They were treated like animals. They were shipped across the world in unimaginable, imaginably horrible conditions where many of them died in, in rout. And then they were sold like property to other people who used them solely for profit with no concern for their dignity or their rights or their humanity. The greatest plight on Americans' history is that we were part of that. I really believe that. As a group, they knew suffering. But here's the thing I love about it. That in their suffering, they sang. In their suffering, 
they sang songs, and the songs they sang were primarily about heaven. They were singing about a place where justice would reign and suffering would cease. You want to do something interesting? Take your computer and Google Negro spirituals. You'll find an incredibly well-researched topic with thousands of things you can access. And I downloaded a few of the songs that they sang. Listen to these words. I won't sing them for you. I lived in Louisiana. I, I did prison ministry in Louisiana for a year as a chaplain in a prison. And I always told those young men in prison, I'm going to go back. God wants me to plant churches and pastor churches in the north. I'm going to break you out and bring you with me. Because they can sing. You know, it was, it was great. I loved the worship services in those prisons that I, that I was part of. So I won't try to sing it, but just listen to the, the content of what the songs are. It sings of the fact that they have nothing now, but they're looking for something then. It says, Oh, nobody knows who I am, or who I am till the judgment morning. Heaven bells are ringing, the saints all singing. Heaven bells are ringing in my soul. I want to go to heaven, want to go right, want to go to heaven all dressed in white. Nobody knows who I am, or who I am till the judgment morning. Heaven bells are ringing, the saints all singing. Heaven bells are ringing in my soul. Don't want to stumble, don't want to fall, want to go right, want to be in heaven when the roll is called. Nobody knows who I am, or who I am till the judgment morning. Heaven bells are ringing, the saints all singing. Heaven bells are ringing in my soul. If you don't believe that I've been redeemed, follow me down to Jordan's stream. How about this one? You're going to recognize it. Martin Luther King Jr., you may not know, when he did his, one of his very famous speeches, he didn't invent it. He, 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 he connected to his crowd by using an old Negro spiritual. Free at last, free at last, I thank God I'm free at last. Free at last, free at last, I thank God I'm free at last. Way down yonder in the graveyard walk, I thank God I'm free at last. Me and my Jesus are going to meet and talk, I thank God I'm free at last. On my knees when the light passed by, I thank God I'm free at last. Thought my soul would rise and fly, I thank God I'm free at last. Some of these mornings bright and fair, I thank God I'm free at last. Going to meet King Jesus in the air, I thank God I'm free at last. Not free from slavery, free from the world, heaven. And listen to this last one. It's called Beams of Heaven Someday. Beams of heaven as I go, through this wilderness below, guide my feet in peaceful ways, turn my midnights into days. When in the darkness I would grope, faith always sees a star of hope. As soon, imagine this, they're, in, they're enslaved and they're singing this about heaven. As soon from all life's grief and danger, I shall be free someday. I don't know how long twill be, nor for what the future holds for me, but this I know, if Jesus leads me, I shall get to home someday. Oftentimes my sky is clear, joy abounds without a tear. Through a day so bright begun, clouds may hide tomorrow's sun. There'll be a day when all's br that's always bright, a day that never yields to night, and in its light the streets of glory I shall behold someday. Harder yet may be the fight. Right, right may often yield to might. Wickedness a while may reign. Satan's cause may seem to gain. There is a God that rules above with hand of power and heart of love. If I am right, he'll fight my battle and I shall have peace someday. 
Burdens now may crush me down. Disappointed all around. Troubles speak in mournful sigh. Sorrows through a tear-stained eye. There is a world where pleasure reigns. No mourning soul shall roam its plains. To that land of peace and glory I want to go someday. You know what? They understood something. I'm, I'm amazed. I, went through, I was amazed because understand, as a people group, they were very uneducated. The slave owners let them go to church on Sunday with them. They wouldn't allow them in the building, but they could meet behind the buildings and they would sing. And look at the, the theology, the, the joy of heaven that they sang about. They understood something. And I think they understood it better than we generally do when we try to live in a life that's just, just framed around ease. They understood this. That this is not our home. That this earth filled with suffering is not our home. That this world can be a rotten place. But that God has a place waiting for those who walk with Him where there's no more suffering. For them where there's no more slavery and imprisonment. They understood heaven. Friends, heaven is God's ultimate plan to achieve human sufferings. And as a people, we need to understand that that's what we're aiming for. It's not retirement on a beach in Florida picking up seashells. It's not removing yourself from all responsibility because that's what our culture says the ultimate glorious end is to you. You only work so long and then you spend the rest of your life just golfing and having fun. Now, I like to golf. I stink at it, but I like to golf. And I like walking on the beach. But that's not what God calls us to. It's all right to do that. But He calls us to living for Him on this earth because someday we're going to be in a place where suffering ceases. So the ultimate, the ultimate, God's ultimate plan for alleviating human suffering is heaven. Well, that brings me to a, another question in my mind. What about the time between now and then? What about the people in Mayville today? What about the time between today and heaven? What about the suffering that you may be going through right now? You came in carrying on your back. You just put a smile on your face. Maybe you didn't. We generally do. But down inside here, there's, there's things going on, and you want to cry. And if just the right circumstance happened, it comes flooding out. What about the suffering we may be going through right now? Well, I think there's two things that we need to understand about this suffering. The first thing is this. That God wants to bring something good out of your suffering. If you're suffering today, or you're going to suffer tomorrow, because you will, understand this. God wants to bring something good out of your suffering. Notice what I did not say. I did not say your suffering was good. I did not say, oh, celebrate because you're suffering. I did not say your suffering good. Rather, I said, good can come out of your suffering. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of James with me. We're going to look at two things in James today. Starting off in the very first chapter of the book of James, kind of near the end of your Bible. Your revelations turn forward about 10% of the, the Bible, of the Scriptures. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Listen to this. Sometimes we gloss over, gloss over things. Listen to what this says. Consider it all joy, my brethren... Is that us? Yeah. Consider it all joy, 
my brethren, when you encounter various trials, and you can very honestly apply there the word sufferings, when you encounter various trials or encounter various sufferings, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Doesn't that sound kind of strange? Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Consider it all joy when you walk through suffering. That's what he's saying. But James understood that it wasn't strange. Because James understood, the author of this book, that suffering can produce positive spiritual results in our life. See, when we go through suffering, and we look to the Lord in suffering, you can go through suffering and not look to the Lord, and you won't get the same positive result. But if we go through suffering and we look to the Lord, we experience His reality in ways that we never would experience His reality in a life filled only with ease. That's what he's talking about here. It's the trials that cause us to either grow and develop or to give up and walk away. That's what Jesus says in his, in his story about planting seeds in people's lives. He said some people, the seed goes down good into deep soil and it produces fruit, but some it just goes into shallow soil and as soon as it says any persecution arises, suffering comes, they wither and they die and they walk away. Friends, if we choose to grow... That's a big thing to remind yourself in suffering. And I'm still trying to get it. Because my immediate reaction to suffering is I want to whine and I want to complain and I want to say it's not fair. And so do you. It's human. But if we can elevate ourselves and begin to, to, to look from this to God, God Himself and to His Word and believe that His Word is true, then if we choose to grow, the trials we face give us continuing opportunities to put aside our immaturity and to grow into solid people who are formed by the experience of trials and suffering. They form us. What he says here is they make us stronger. They produce endurance. They make us stronger. They, they prove to us that we can love in the toughest of situations when we choose to do it. We walk through it. It proves to us we can choose to love in the toughest of situations, it reveals to us that we can endure great injustice and come out the other side healthy and forgiving and positive as we walk through them hand in hand with Jesus, looking to grow. Friends, God wants to turn what Satan... Think of this. He wants to turn what Satan thinks will destroy you because that's the enemy's plan from the beginning to destroy Adam and Eve through sin, that God wants to turn what Satan thinks will destroy you into the op very opportunity for you to grow and to become more like Jesus. That's why it can be joy. That's why we, consider it, we can consider it all joy when we face suffering because you know that if you walk through it with Jesus, that He is going to use it to help you to grow and develop. You're going to become more like Jesus because you walk through suffering. It says Jesus learned the things He did through suffering. And so should we. So friends, that's the first thing that we need to, we need to just write down before, before we go through suffering so when we get there we understand, now wait a minute, I don't have to enjoy this, but there's something good that can come out of it. And we look for God to do something good in our life. That's the first thing we need to understand or to write down about suffering today in this time between now and heaven. But there's a second thing that each one of us really needs to get a hold of 
today. I need you to hear this today. If the first 30 minutes of our time together today has put you to sleep, wake up right now. Okay? Wave at me. Are you sleeping? No. Don't be sleeping because this is what I need you to hear today. Because the second thing that God wants us to understand about suffering in this time between today and heaven is this. That God has created the church. He's created Portview. Us. To be a place where people find comfort and support during their suffering. He's, very, he's created the very institution of the church. He's called us together to gather together because He wants to create a place of alleviating suffering. Friends, of all the things that define us as a church, the one thing that should stand out above everything else is that we are people who care. That should be the one thing that stands out, that we are people who care. That God has brought us together so that we can be a place where love thrives. Where people experience the care of God through the people of God. Do you know how God hugs people? With your arms. Do you know how God meets people's needs? Through your wallet. That's how He does it. That God, that, that God wants us to allow other people to experience God's reality because we're God's people. Jesus said that the primary way that the world would know that we are His followers is by our love for one another. Right? We are really to care for one another. And friends, I hope when you came here today, I hope that you realized that it wasn't just to worship and to learn something. But you understood that the very reason God created this place and told us to gather together is so you could come together and we could give love away. We could love one another. That's why He brought you here today. Jesus made it real simple. He said of all the laws that were in the Scriptures, they were all summed up in two ideas, love God and love others. And friends, the church is to be all about love and loving others with the love of Christ. That's, what it, that's why we exist. And let's understand that this goes beyond simply walking up to somebody and shaking their hand. That's a good thing. I wish you would all learn to do this a lot more. To somebody you don't know, you say this, well, pastor, I'm bashful. What does it cost you to do this? Nothing. Okay? Nothing. I shook your hand this morning, sir, and I never met you before, didn't I? Right? Right? I'm sorry if I embarrassed anybody, but here's the deal. <laughs> here's the deal. It goes beyond that. That's not even on a radar screen. That ought to be done without even thinking about it. If you walk in so tunnel vision thinking only about yourself, that you don't even greet people around you, I need you to open up your eyes and open up your ears and hear what God is saying and see what God is doing. It goes way beyond just simply shaking somebody's hands. Friends, listen. We prove we care when we meet each other's needs. Turn one page back in the book of James to chapter 2. You're in chapter 1. Turn to chapter 2 with me. Sometimes we don't like the book of James because James doesn't sugarcoat anything. He smacks us right between the eyes with the truth of God and he says, just do it. And that's what he says here. I like James for that reason, personally. <laughs> you all say, oh, surprising. Look at James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. Now, this, is, this book is not titled Mark, right? We left the book that, my, that I was named after. This book is titled James. The half-brother of Jesus wrote this. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Look what he says, starting in verse 14. 
He says, what use is it, my brethren? Is that us? So let's change the words. What use is it, members of Portview, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? It's a rhetorical question saying no. He says, if a brother or a sister, look next to the person, if it's a male, say hi brother, if it's a female, say hi sister. Hi brother. Okay? Talking about us. If a brother or a sister, the person you're sitting next to, they're your brother or your sister in Christ and they're part of the family that God has put you in. You know what? God puts you in a church family. You don't get to choose where you go. You think, oh, I chose to come. God puts you. He uses your free choice, but He puts you. Now, someone's got a chance just to leave if you want. Boy, that was quiet. If a brother or a sister <laughs> is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace. You're shaking your hand as you do this. Go in peace. Be warm to be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Friends, we prove that we care when we meet each other's needs. God wants us to be generous with the resources he has given to us. You know what? I don't have my wallet. Take it out of my pocket. That wallet that you have in your pocket, the things inside of there, they're not yours. The breath goes like this. Come on, something is really hard. Come on. That air in your lungs isn't yours. It's God's. He wants us to be generous with the resources that He has given to us. Generous toward alleviating suffering in the family of God towards our brother and our sister. We don't want to have dead faith. We want living faith. And living faith meets needs and alleviates suffering. That's what living faith does. That's what James is communicating. Living faith meets needs and alleviates sufferings. And friends, it goes beyond just what you do with your wallet. You know what? We can, well, something that will cost you nothing? We can alleviate loneliness by being a friend. You know what, Portview? You love me? Anybody? In other words, I got something I'm going to say. <laughs> Remind me you love me. It's time for you to open up your little closed worlds and invite some new people in. If we're going to continue to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish in this church, it only happens as we open up our worlds. You know who cannot meet all the needs relationally of all the people in this church? Meet all the lonely people's needs? The pastoral staff. It's not my job. My job is to equip other people to do it. Now, I have my own world of people I try to meet their needs. And it starts with your family. And it goes to your brothers and sisters in Christ that you're connected to. But our worlds aren't all that big. But God's created such a way, and He's placed us in the church in such a way that if we'll open up our worlds a little bit, we'll receive some new people in, all the needs of all the people will be met. It's not a, or it's this way, people said, it's a church's job. Amen. You're the church. I'm the church. That's the truth. It's time for us to open up our closed worlds of our friends we've had for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and no one new has been welcomed in. Open them up. You invite them to the Super Bowl, might be a little late for that. You invite them for dinner, you, you do whatever, you alleviate loneliness 
by opening up your world to some new people and letting them in. Friends, we can alleviate a lot. We can alleviate bigotry. I normally wouldn't even think of that, living in Ozaki County. But the Negro spirituals made me think of it. And the fact that God is blessing us now with this wonderful Hispanic ministry and all different, you know, we have every nationality around in our community and some in here. We can alleviate bigotry by intentionally connecting with people who are different from us. Intentionally connecting that are different from you. I love what Tim said on a bus yesterday. He said he grew up um, learning to appreciate different food because all the kids he grew up with were from different ethnic backgrounds. Except for that blood soup part from the Polish. <laughs> not only do I not want to eat it, I can stand on spiritual, on Bible grounds and proclaim I don't want to eat it. <laughs> you know, and so we can alleviate bigotry by intentionally connecting with people who are different from us. Friends, we alleviate suffering when our actions prove that we are people who really care. And some of you are going through suffering right now, and some of you, your lives, you feel empty, and you feel sad, and you feel frustrated. The way you get out of that is not by people meeting your needs. It's by you alleviating somebody else's suffering. You stop looking at your belly button, you look at somebody else, and you give your life away. And what happens is the joy of the Lord fills your life. That's how God does it. We alleviate suffering when our actions prove that we are people who really care. Church, God wants, uh, wants to use us to help those who are suffering in these days between today and heaven. In essence, you know what we are? We're a little piece of heaven on earth. When people drive in here and they walk in our doors, they should experience a little bit of heaven on earth. Now, we're still sin-flawed people. It's going to be 18 bazillion times better there. But a little bit of heaven here on earth. I want the people of Portview to be the most loving people on the planet. I want everybody to know that we are people who really care. We really care because that's what God wants us to be. Amen? Amen. So, heaven is the ultimate way God alleviates human suffering. We look for that glorious day. But in this time between now and then, as a church, we're to be a place that's a little bit of heaven on earth. By, call, by, by caring for one another and helping to ease each other's suffering today. Does that make sense? Stand with me this morning. Let's close in prayer.